How many thankful this morning? Amen. What a wonderful worship set. Um, they did a phenomenal job. I love hearing Whitney sing and worship and encourage and embolden and all the things that she does when she helps lead us in worship. We're blessed as a church with music talent here for sure. Um, Isabella kills it every time she comes up and helps and youth group as a whole when they come and it's just a, always a, a wonderful time to to know that we're taken care of. Leslie, her voice is not uh, able to sing this morning so she called them like in the blink of an eye and said I'm not going to be able to do it and they did it. So, uh, And we're thankful for that. Amen to be in a church uh, that that's possible. I filled in for a church a few years ago uh, down the road a little bit uh, when the pastor had um, left the church and they was the musicians at the church the pastors was and their family and went down to fill in and I'm sure they didn't want to hear me sing so I would just take and play YouTube videos of worship songs on the screen and and held church with them for several months uh, to get them through the valley of the shadow of death of me being there and another pastor came and is at that church now and they are very musically talented so their church is doing really well and thankful for that but there's something about worship right there is something to worship that it's something that God desires of us. Uh, Jesus even told the woman at the well, you know, that they're going to worship on this mountain and that mountain and all over the world. And it's God's desire is for us to worship. And as Whitney was saying this morning, you know, that it gets us out of that funk sometimes. So sometimes even though you don't feel like worshiping, you may ought to worship anyway. So if you're in a mess or in a pickle, Worship is the key to get out. So get you some worship music, put it on, sing along. It's not just in church. Worship is a 24-7 lifestyle of something we need to do. So we are in week five of the Gospel BC. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus Exodus chapter 12. So Exodus chapter 12. Second book in your Bible. Exodus chapter 12. Somehow my phone ended up on Exodus chapter 10. It's chapter 12 that we're after. We're going to talk about the Passover today. Exodus chapter 12, starting at verse 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So God is initiating the calendar. Verse 3, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth 
Now this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need you shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without a blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where they shall eat it. Then shall they eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boil it with water, but roast it in the fire with its head and with its legs and with its entrails. Doesn't that sound yummy? It's kind of like on the... One of the movies that Leslie makes me watch when they bring out that duck and or goose or whatever it was and flop it down on the Christmas table and what was that, Leslie? Christmas story. Okay, that's pretty awesome because the dogs ate the turkey with its entrails in it. Why are they worried about the bitter herbs when the entrails are in it? Whew. Sometimes God makes you eat stuff you don't want to. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you in the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus that sets us free from sin, that makes us white as snow, that allows us to come into your presence where you can see us and we can feel you and know that you're near to us. Father, we thank you for this Old Testament version of the gospel the story of the Passover. God, I pray that you would awaken it in our hearts, make it relevant to us today, that we could see you through this story and see your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So if you go on and read through the remainder of this chapter, you'll find that there's other holidays or holy days that God instituted for the children of Israel because everybody needs a break. 
Amen? Everybody needs a break. How many loves it when you come into a weekend and it's a holiday weekend and you get three days off instead of two days off or whatever? A holiday is always a good day. But sometimes these holidays, well, unless you're retired, I guess, and then you get a, every day's a holiday. I don't know. Maybe that look forward to that day someday. But God is initiating holidays here, and he tells the children of Israel not to work on these days. A lot of them, uh, these holy days that he initiated, he tells them not to work on that day. Because there needs to be days where that you let rest happen, because our bodies are designed in the image of God, and on the seventh day God rested in the creation story, right, in Genesis chapter 1. So if he rested, shouldn't we rest? Look at your neighbor and say, you look like you need some rest. Your eyeballs are red. <laughs> You're about to go to sleep in the heat in here. Rest won't hurt us at all. A little rest. Because sometimes when you toil and strive and go after and chase, the rest would have done you more good than the chase. And I've heard people say, and I'm sure Eric's heard a lot of people say this too, that working seven days a week, you just give it all to Uncle Sam anyway, so what's the use of working on Sunday, right? They tax you that much more when you put in the extra hours. Thank God for taxes. It's tax season. But these holy days that God's setting up to tell the people to rest because he knows that they haven't been resting. But the people he's speaking to in this situation are slaves. They're the children of Israel that have voluntarily went into Egypt with Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph that he goes into. And when you get into Egypt, you get there and you went there voluntarily to get some food. And next thing you know, a generation or two later, you end up in slavery. So don't let your belly be your guide. Amen? You know, it's way to man's heart is through his stomach, they say, kind of, I guess, right? So we've got to be careful because some people say, I've got a gut feeling about this. I'm going to follow my gut. Food has already been partially processed by the time it gets to your gut, and it's turning into something. We know what that is, right? <laughs> so you don't want to follow your gut because you're following a bunch of that stuff. Poo. That's a good word. That's a, that's a, that, you can say that in church. That's, that's a good way of putting it. So if you don't want your life to be full of poo... Don't follow your gut. You need to follow God's leading. Their hunger took them into Egypt because they thought they was in a famine and they couldn't get by. And the only way to provide was to do something to go into another land and get their food. And they ended up there out of willingness, out of just because they wanted to. And it's easy. And I can go there and take their food. They've got enough down in Egypt. We're up here in Israel. I'd rather just go there because they got food. And starving's no fun. Amen? 
Anybody ever been hungry? I'm not talking about our versions of hungry. I'm talking about really hungry, where that there was no food available, your bank account was empty. This happens a lot, I guess, with college kids. They get in a dorm and they run out of ramen noodles that mama left for you, and you end up in a pickle. Or if you've been a, in a fight with your wife and she's the one that makes your lunch, and you end up lunch the next day and open up your lunch box, Shannon, and. <laughs> And there's a sandwich that said, treat me better, you'll get to eat tomorrow. Maybe that's it. I don't know. So they ended up in this pickle down in Egypt as slaves, getting beat, getting, I, I mean, it was a bad situation. Truly slaves. And Pharaoh even put more work on them when God got involved and started challenging him. He said, I'm going to make them do more. Don't give as much straw, make them do, do, put out more brick. I need more. I'm going to build more pyramids. So they are have to work to build somebody else something, hungry. They do got, do have some animals around that they had, that they're living off of. And here God comes down and says, take one of them and institute a Passover. And leave its head on it. And leave the guts in it. And cook it and eat it. And you got to do it with bitter herbs too because it's not bad enough to eat it that way. you got to have some bitterness in there. And as he's instituting this feast that he's telling them about that it's going to be for future generation, their generation and every generation after them. And Jews still practice this today. The Passover still is going on today in Israel. So as these things are happening, God is instituting something to set up something because everything he does has meaning. And it has a future. And you may not like it at the moment. You don't like the taste of it at the moment. But if God tells you to do it, the best thing you can do is suck it up, buttercup. Amen? And go on with your bad self and do what he tells you to do. I don't like bitter herbs. I don't like spinach. Does anybody else like spinach? There's something wrong with you people. <laughs> Kraut? No, thank you. <laughs> That's like rotted stuff. Why would you eat something rotted? I don't, I don't get it. It'd be like eating a possum off the side of the road. I, I don't get it. I don't, don't understand. But the children of Israel, he's telling them, you know, I, you've been through these plagues that I sent on the Pharaoh because I'm trying to tell him. I, I told Moses over there in the mountain when he was over there walling around in the wilderness for 40 years. And he comes back out there and tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, I'm not. They're my slaves. You're not getting them. God, you can't have them. How many knows if God wants you, he'll get you. He'll keep chasing you. He'll keep running after you. He'll keep knocking on your heart's door over and over and over again. But sometimes the enemy says, no, God, you can't have that one. Not yours. They're mine. That's not the God I serve. He's bigger. and He's got more power than the enemy. He's got more capabilities, he's got more knowledge, he's got more all that stuff than the enemy. So why do we hold that Pharaoh's going to win this battle? So he sends all these plagues, you know, the frogs, the locusts, the blood in the river. And you can read through these stories here in Exodus. 
And God sends all these signs to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. No, I'm not doing it. So then God says, the last one, this is the big boy. The firstborn of everything in Egypt is going to die tonight. So I'm telling you, to eat this lamb or goat, I'm telling you to get that unleavened bread, and I'm telling you to stay up with your house full of people, and if, if, if you've got a, a goat this size and it's too much for you and your wife and you don't have kids, then get the neighbors involved. So as he tells them this, they do it. But I'm sure there were some deadbeats among the Israelites said, I don't believe God. Why would he want me to eat that sour stuff? Be like him telling me to eat cabbage or kraut or spinach or any of that other stuff that I don't like that there's a whole lot of. Now, if he told me to eat crackers, I'm all in. That is like unleavened bread, so that's pretty good stuff, crackers. Huh? Makes me a godly person, I guess. So as he tells them to do this, and, and then he said, when you take it and you slaughter it, Take it and take the blood and put it on the doorpost because when I come in through the night, at twilight, at middle of the night, I'm going to come through. The death angel's coming through, and it's going to take out every firstborn of animals and humans. It's a scary situation in Egypt. Talk about a bad day to be alive if you didn't get warning. This is one predictor that's not like the weatherman that's got a 50% chance of getting it. This is going to happen. When God says it, that's it. It's settled. It don't matter if you believe it or not. You know, because some people say that. The Bible says that I believe it. It don't matter if you believe it or not. The Bible's still true. Yeah. Amen. So God said it. Believe it if you want to. You better be getting out there slicing the throat on that goat or that lamb. And you better be getting the hyssop and taking it and putting it on the doorpost of your house. The blood needs to be applied because that's the only thing that's going to keep that death angel out of your house. Yeah. Obedience is what God was after. Can you imagine the smell? If, if you've ever been in a slaughterhouse or if you've ever been at deer camp with Ammon, well, the ones that kill deers up there where Ammon goes on the deer season. <laughs> It's a gory mess, man. I imagine the streets of the whole town of all these Israelites. And, you know, some estimates say there's somewhere between two and six million people that was Israelites that was living in Egypt. Two and six million people. If they had three or four kids, you know, you're still talking about half a million to a million households. That's a lot of lambs. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of fires. It's a lot of stink. It's a lot of herbs, bitter herbs. But here they find themselves in this situation. And they do it in obedience to what God said to them, though they had never seen it happen before. He instituted something here. And when they're out there, and I can imagine... The people out there with that hyssop and basically a, a limb and taking that and dipping it in the blood and putting it on the doors of the house. 
What sense does that make, logically? What, why, what does that mean? Why did he tell us to do this? Some of us ask too many questions. When we need to just listen and do what he says to do. We don't need more information. We need more application. You don't need to come to hear more sermons about what you need to do. You need to do what he tells us to do. His word gives us points to send the right direction. Just do it. But here they are. They find themselves and they're doing this. And that might, can you imagine the, when the death angel comes over and, you know, in the, and there's, you know, been movies around about this forever. You, you can watch the old, what's his name? The actor that was in the original, Charlton Heston. I, I don't know who that is, but. I remember the movie pretty well when I was little. And it was, I don't know how long ago that's been, but it's been a long time ago. It's like that death angel. It's like black smoke coming through. It's got this eerie sound. Like goblins or something. Sounds like Halloween, right? And the next morning they wail and the cry of all the people that wake up and try to wake up their kids. And their firstborns is all dead, everybody. All the firstborn of all their animals dead in the same instant. Talk about getting your attention when you're the king or you're the pharaoh or you're the one in charge that everybody's looking to. And death is everywhere. It changed Pharaoh's mind. He said, take them slaves and get them out of here, Moses. Because the God you're serving just caused havoc on my people. Wouldn't it have been better off to listen the first time? How many of us are more like Pharaoh than we care to admit? Plague after plague after sign after sign after voice in our ear, after a sermon after sermon, after a word from the Lord, from a word from the Lord, how many of us find ourselves in a predicament where it's come time? God's going to get you to do it. So this Passover is instituted from God to say it's a sign. The blood over the doorpost is a sign. And it's the only thing that will save you. So now imagine this in the New Testament version. That everybody. We are our, our own house. Everybody here. You're sitting here. And you're a house. And God's New Testament version of this. If I don't see the blood of my son on your house you won't be saved and salvation is simple Travis are you the only one agrees I guess so because everybody else didn't say anything salvation is simple humans make it complex humans make it hard preachers make it hard I've heard preachers say if you don't come to the altar this time God will never call you again is that biblical? 
<laughs> I know there's places that say that his spirit won't always strive with man, but it's usually because it's their last breath. Amen? If you're still breathing, you're a candidate for salvation. As long as you're breathing, you're a candidate for salvation. Because it's not his will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. Everybody. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants you saved. Everybody. Even the people we don't like. He wants them saved too. Even the people you don't think deserve heaven. He wants them saved too. Even the people that you think don't deserve salvation. Jesus says, yeah, I died for them too. So this image is we need to apply the blood to be saved. And if the gospel's in the Old Testament, this is the picture and one of those pictures of images in the Old Testament that God is trying to prepare for the future to say that we can see in this gospel generation that we're living in, there's a change. And it's no longer an actual little lamb or no longer a little baby goat that's being sacrificed, but now it's the one true lamb of God. You remember John the Baptist? Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. A pure Lamb, a one without blemish. That was a predictor that Jesus was coming and he was going to live a sinless life. And when he was crucified for our sin, this is an image of him. And here we're the ones in this pickle that we find ourselves do I want to be obedient to what God says, or do I want to do it my way? God, I'll earn my way in. And you may go out and witness people, Joe Don, and somebody come up, you know, you tell them about you need to, you know, get saved or whatever, and they're like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll clean myself up, and once I get clean enough, I'll come on down to the church. <laughs> if you could clean yourself up, why did Jesus need to come? He came because we can't. Amen. Is there anybody in here that could not clean yourself up? That you were a, a rotten scoundrel. Amen. You knew it in your heart. You looked for it and you desired salvation, but you was trying to earn it in some way that I'm going to buy this by doing better. I'm, I, I'll pray when I go to bed that night and, and I'll, I'll never do that again. That, that sin's over and I'll never do that again. And then you wake up the next day and before two days is over, same sin, right? Because we're humans in a broken state. Because Adam and Eve sinned, it brought sin in the world. And it runs through all generations and all people. Nobody's exempt. The only person, human, that ever lived on this planet that didn't have that DNA going through his body was Jesus. Because his father was the heavenly father. And his blood was pure. And he was sinless. And it takes that without blemish to meet God's standard. God requires perfection. How many believes that? He requires perfection. Now look at your neighbor and say, that ain't you. <laughs> Amen. Well, they might think they are. I don't know. Maybe you need to look at the other side because you're afraid to tell that other person. Look at the other way. You look at the person on the other side and say, that's not you. Okay. Yeah, definitely not you. 
So if God's, if God's requirement is perfection and we're not perfect, we have to accept His plan. And if we don't accept the perfect form of Jesus, then we're saying, I'm going to save myself. Good luck with that. Keep trying to do that. If you failed your whole life thus far, why are you continuing in the same thing? You know what insanity is, right? Do the same thing over and expect a different outcome? So Jesus' perfection is God's image in this Old Testament version of bringing people out of slavery into freedom. How many when you was a sinner, if you're saved now and you was a sinner, you felt like you was in bondage? You felt like you was in bondage. So I was unsaved, living my life, doing what I want to do. I was in bondage. And when I got saved and I accepted Jesus to put blood on my doorpost, it was like freedom hit my heart and my life and my shoulders. A total freedom, like, like the joy come bubbling out that had been welled up for too long and been capped off for too long, and joy unspeakable and full of glory began to roll out of me. Why? Because that's the freedom that God buys through His Son Jesus. It's there. We've got it capped off because we're stopping it because we won't out the doorpost to be covered with His blood. Bondage is not just physical. This bondage is spiritual. And God is asking us through this story today, are we going to allow him to provide the blood for our doorpost? We have to make a decision. Am I going to accept his way and stop fighting it? And he goes to extremes with this, Rick. In the New Testament, there's a person named Saul that's going out, and we preached about him just a while back. Saul, the, he had grew up an Israelite and a Pharisee among Pharisees. He, was, he said, in my life, I'm blemishless. I don't have any blemishes. <laughs> Sound like anybody you know? Think they're perfect? Always telling you what to do, and they got their own train wreck going on? There's one in the back somewhere. I could tell by the voice who it was. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And Saul th said, I, I, I was a Pharisee amongst Pharisees. I, I, I was blemishless in, according to Judaism. I'd kept the law. It's perfect. But his perfection had him to the point where he thought he was so holy that this new sect that had come along, these Jesus people, that's out here worshiping. Somebody saying they're God and they're in a human form. I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't accept that. So he went around and in the story of Stephen's in Acts chapter 8, he goes out and he stands there and holds the cloaks of other people because as Stephen's telling the gospel, go back and read it. Acts chapter 8, Stephen standing there, going to be stoned, knows he's going to be stoned, knows he's within minutes of my death. Starts preaching and saying, in the Old Testament this way, and it's profound because it's now Jesus that's doing this, as he was who they was predicting. And he tells this over and over and over, going through different people through the Old Testament, saying, that image, Abraham, yeah, that's Jesus. Moses, yeah, that's Jesus. This whole Old Testament that we've studied as Jews, it's all about Jesus. And he's telling them about it. And they become so 
hardened and calloused as religious people, as holier-than-thou people, that they literally picked up rocks and they threw them at Stephen until they beat him to death with stones. And Saul stood there holding her coat saying, Get them, boys. We're better than these losers that wants an easy way out and lets God do it for them. We'll earn our way in. We'll be holy. And then we know the story that he goes over and he heads towards Damascus and he goes and tells the governor, Governor, I, I, need, this, I need this scroll and, and write it up and give me, give me a, a, a reason to go to Damascus because I hear there's a church over there and I don't like them kind of people. they got a different church and it's got a different name brand over the door. And I'll go over there and I'll watch people kill them too. And he takes off on his horse, got an honorage with him, heading through the, through the desert, Going over through there, what happens? He gets blinded. A great light from heaven shone on him. Some of us need to see the light. Amen? So as this happens, and he's blinded, and he falls off his horse, the best thing you can ever do is get off your high horse and get down on the ground. And something that Ernie used to say all the time, that the foot of the cross, it's, it's even, even ground, level ground. It don't matter if you're the President of the United States, the King of Egypt, or some homeless person out there under the alleyway. When you come to the cross, we're all equal. We're all a mess. And we have to come on an equal playing ground where it's the cross or nothing else. So Saul, he asked him, Lord, who are you? Who are you? Jesus says, it's me. It's Jesus. Why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are, you, why are you kicking against it? Why are you fighting and striving so much, Saul? I hung on a cross a few days ago. And here you're out here killing my people. He knocked him down. He ends up going into Damascus because he goes ahead and goes there. But here this man named Saul that had all this authority, that had this scroll in his hand to kill people finds himself blind and led around by the hand and wallowing in a little shelter, afraid and scared and don't understand. But he gets to praying. And another guy gets to praying over next door a little ways away. And then when that guy's praying, God tells him, this is some person in the church, a leader of the church. Go over, and I want you to pray with Saul. It'd be like God telling you, Eric, to go pray for Saddam Hussein or whoever. It'd be like, no, thank you. Right? Vladimir Putin needs your, needs your prayer, sir. Get on the plane and go over and see him. I don't think so. Right? God says, I've got a plan for him. And eventually he goes over. And he lays his hands on this Saul of Tarsus. And scales fall off his eyes. And health comes back to him and he can see. And this man named Saul becomes Paul. Why? Because the blood of the Lamb. And he goes on to write two-thirds of the New Testament as far as the number of books. 
and write these stories that we know as Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and, and Corinthians and Romans and Timothy and Titus and Philemon and Hebrews. He writes all these books. And he tells us about Jesus. In 1 Corinthians it says that Paul is writing to us and he tells us that the Passover is Jesus. The Passover lamb is Jesus. If God can catch him, a scoundrel, murderer, accomplice, a bigot, if God can catch him, he can catch any of us. And if God can use him, he can use any of us. And he wants to use me and you, and he wants to provide the blood to get you there through his son Jesus. The gospel BC is real. The gospel has always been God's plan. We started this series with a fact in Genesis 3.15 that God said to the woman, between your seed and your seed snake, there's going to be a battle. How many knows the battle went on for years and years and years and years and years? But when Jesus came, according to that scripture in Genesis 3.15, the devil's head was bruised and Jesus' heel was bruised. Which means... Jesus was still on top. Amen? Still on top. And he's still on top today. Because when they put him in that ground, and we'll be preaching about this in Easter, I know we will, but when they put him in that ground, and he stayed there overnight, all day the next day, and then the next morning when the women come to see about that body, to anoint him with oil because of Passover. Passover's coming. The story we're reading about is coming. The annual celebration, the holiday's coming. And Jesus wasn't in the tomb. <laughs> a lot of doorposts had a lot of blood on them. From that point in time till today, how many posts have been washed with the blood? How many times has the blood been applied? Is there anybody in this room that the blood has been applied to your doorpost or your heart and you know it in this place today and you're thankful for it that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and my Savior and I'm free from sin. I'm no longer in bondage. There's freedom running through my life today. There's the joy of the Lord that I can wake up in the morning to know if I'd have passed away last night, I'm going to split heaven wide open. Why? Because of Jesus and it's blood. There's power in the blood. Wonder-working power in the blood. I know Ammon's old school enough that he could probably play that if we needed him to. How beautiful it is, this thought that God gave his son so I could be saved. And you can be saved. And the gospel has always been and it will always be because even after all this life is over even after all these generations are done and whenever he comes back and gets his church there's going to be a lot of people up in heaven that the blood was applied and God no longer sees their sin he sees their sainthood why because God provided the blood so if you're in this place today and you haven't made that decision and it sounds too simple, and you think, well, that's way too easy, Pastor. I, I, preacher, that sounds too easy. It's because it is. It is too simple. It is too easy. Because God knows you can't do it. All you're going to create is a mess. You're just going to burn it all down. 
God can build it all up. So if you would, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody worrying about what your neighbor's doing or what anybody else. Everybody in here, you're your own house. You're your own person. And you can't get to heaven because mama prayed. And you can't get to heaven because grandpa was a Christian. And you can't get to heaven because granny taught you in Sunday school. You can't get to heaven because auntie laid hands on you or prayed prayers over you. There's only one way to heaven. And that is your obedience to Jesus and your willingness to say, I need help because I can't get it done. Nobody looking around. Nobody worrying about anybody else. Your own house. And the question is very simple in this place today. Is the blood applied? And you know if it is, and you know if it's not. Is the blood applied? The blood of Jesus over the doorpost of your heart. Because without it, death is coming. Destruction is the end without the blood. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Life only happens when you accept the blood of Jesus. So I want you to contemplate that and just view your heart today. This temple that you're in, is the blood applied or not? It's a simple question. You already know. And if today you're in this place and you say, I want... Jesus to apply the blood his blood to the lentils of of my doorpost I want him to cause this death angel that I'm so afraid of dying I'm so afraid to go to sleep because if I die in the middle of the night in my sleep I'm going to split hell wide open and today I'm sitting here and I'm deciding in this place today I would rather have the blood applied so that I can live forever in eternity with my friends, my family, with God. If that's you in this place today, I just want you to slip up your hand and say, that's me, preacher. I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to slip up your hand and say, that's me. I'm ready for the blood to be applied. Today is the day of salvation. On the count of three, I want you to slip up your hand and say, today is my day. I'm going to give Jesus my heart And he's welcome to come and sup with me because I'm tired of the heartache that I felt. Today is the day of salvation. One, two, three. Is that you? I just want you to lift up your hand and say, today is the day of salvation that the blood will be applied to my heart. Anybody here? Anybody here? Holy Spirit, do what only you can do and speak to the heart and mind of those that are here. And God, if any of us have fallen short, if any of us has fell back, if any of us has walked away from those bloody doorposts, and we're sitting here and we're lukewarm, as it says in the New Testament in the book of Revelations, 
that God that you would rather spew us out of your mouth than to put up with our lukewarmness it's been too long since you asked Jesus to apply blood to your doorpost it's dried up Apostle Paul said I died daily daily People in this room, you need the blood applied again today. If you're a Christian in this room and you've been saved and you feel that you're lukewarm and you want to recommit and rededicate and say, Jesus, apply it all over again. I've made a mess of this life that you've given me. I haven't done the things you've asked me to do. I haven't went when you've told me to go. I haven't spoke when you told me to speak. I haven't been quiet when you told me to be quiet. I've, I've done it my way and I'm sick of it and I'm ready for you to apply some more blood, Jesus, to bring salvation back to my home so that I can live in this life, this new life. If you're in this room and that's you, heads bowed, eyes closed, not about your neighbors it's about between you and God and you're sitting here and I'm going to count to three on that one too and when I get to three I just want you to slip up your hand and say that's me pray for me pastor because I need the blood applied and when you're raising your hand you're lifting it to God and saying help me Jesus because I'm in a pickle I'm in bondage again you need more blood applied I want you to lift your hand there's people in here that needs to and you know that you need to. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Challenge us in this room. Become real to us in this room. I pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, come through in this room for those that are lukewarm and help us today to reapply the blood. Lift your hand. One, two, three in this room. You need the blood applied all over again. Amen, amen, amen. A lot of, lot of hands. That makes Jesus' heart happy. That's what makes him say the cross was worth it. All I want is you. All I want is a relationship with you. And I'm happy to apply the blood all over again. He is rejoicing with your decision to say, help me again today. I want all of us to pray this prayer in this room. Everybody here say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm asking you, to apply the blood over my heart's door. Refresh, renew, strengthen, build me up of the mess I've made of this life. Make everything new according to your word so I can live in eternity with you and others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.